the and the um, the humidity now at eighty three percent. That's all the news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. My guest presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, uh, Danny, on this uh, humid day. <laughs> in our main topic today, we're going to be discussing the COP28 UN Climate Change Conference in Dubai, which has gone into overtime in an effort to break the deadlock over phasing out fossil fuels. The 84,000-strong conference was supposed to end yesterday. But several major countries rejected a draft agreement which failed to tackle the extensive pollution caused by fossil fuels. So climate changes have been, uh, climate change negotiators have been working through the night in Dubai in a last minute effort to find a compromise to stop the conference being branded a failure. What do you make of this dispute over the future of fossil fuels? Are big international conferences the best way to make progress on climate change? And what are the implications for us here in Hong Kong? We'll learn more from returning delegates from the UN-China Climate Change Conference, and we want to know what you think. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233 uh, After 9.45, we're going to hear about some new research which points to an alarming number of detect- undetected hepatitis B cases in Hong Kong. Our guests initially, in the initial phase of the discussion, uh, we have uh, uh, Wendell Chan. Wendell Chan is Project Officer of Friends of the Earth. And we have William Yu. William Yu is uh, CEO for the World Green Organization. Welcome to Back Chat. Um, William Yu, uh, let's go to you first. Uh, you were in uh, Dubai, right? Yes, yes. Good morning, everyone. When did you get... You didn't stay for these, uh, this, <laughs> this uh, sort uh, of... Uh... Uh, I, I've just left. Um, uh, I... I'm now in Malaysia attending a new hydrogen technology launch in the University of Malaya. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, this is a very, in many people describe this as a very curious uh, climate change conference because it's been hosted by a um, a nation that makes its, its money out of, of oil um, and it all took place, didn't it, in air-conditioned venues. So did you think there was something a bit incongruous about the whole thing? Um, I... I think um, definitely that should be the focal point um, that we need to focus on, you know, uh, the future development, uh, whether we are face down or face out the fossil fuel. So um, I, I think there's no uh, issue uh, to have a, a, a president, a conference leader uh, that comes from the energy industry. But the key is how we work together to resolve this uh, deadlock. Uh, especially, uh, as you can see from the global stock take, we didn't make the progress that we should have uh, made. And more important is by 2035, we need to reduce our global emissions by at least 40 percent. But now we meet, um, yeah, we make little, little progress. So how, how can we ensure the energy transitions? that really can happen, uh, you know, based on the uh, our timeline. So so that is the great issue. So what's the key in the deadlock right now? Is it target setting or is it uh, finding solutions or whether I'll be, where are we deadlock on? Uh, I actually, I, uh, uh, I keep uh, reading the related uh, news or, or, or heard from the, the some uh, WhatsApp group uh, discussion on site. Um, 
I I think um we still don't know the final word <clears throat> the the final version, but um as you heard about the the reality is we cannot face out the fossil fuel overnight. What uh especially the comment from the oil industry, and what we can do is we keep uh the format, but uh, we look for some other alternative methods to remove the emission while still keeping this fossil fuel to uh, electrify our world. Um, but um, from green groups or the civil society, what they really look for is to phase out and replace by the new technology like hydrogen I'm going to uh, look at or other you know, renewable energies. Now we have a very lower uh, percentage of renewable in our energy mix. So that's the critical part. We need to reach consensus mm. hey, to speed up the energy transition. Mm. Yep. Hey, William, one of the questions that uh, comes from the from the audience is, uh, you know, you guys flying over to uh, to uh, to the conference. Uh, I mean, is that a, a good investment of uh, fossil fuels in uh, you guys flying over there? Uh, I have uh, already uh, bought a carbon offset to uh, a carbon credit to offset my trip. Uh, hopefully, that will compensate a bit. Uh, but, you did uh, pretty well. I, but, I think, sorry, but so, so the other delegates arrived in private aeroplanes. I'm not sure they'd have to get a lot of carbon offsets to cover that. <laughs> yeah, for those uh, country leaders. So, yeah, hopefully they can reach a, a more sensible, you know, uh, framework to agree on how we can speed up the entire reduction process. But but a serious question. I mean, you're flying all the way over there. I mean, what, what, what have you had in your mind to achieve there? And what have you achieved to, uh, to go there as an NGO? You know, you, you, you're chairing and you're leading an NGO here in, in I, Hong Kong. And I, um, what I, are you actually, I, to achieve? Uh, this time I company, uh, a company with uh, uh, the Hong Kong Science Part uh, to go to uh, the new startup that help to uh, promote ESG and or and also some uh, low carbon solution. And one one uh, uh, one uh, startup they focus on the reduction uh, mainly on the measurement of methane. So so uh, surrounding gas, uh, yeah. leakage mm-hmm. in uh, yeah. So so I I think um, we not only focus focus on the policy. Uh, that takes a much longer time uh, to, you know, to reach the consensus. But more important is, I, I'm glad to see uh, we have solutions in place. Really can really can deliver the reduction. So um, I'm, I'm glad to see many uh, new tech and also the low carbon technology in place. I, I think that's uh, important. Uh, you you see the record breaking number of participants this time. I, I think we need to gather, you know, uh, consolidate all this support, uh, the worldwide consensus, instead of uh, the divine, you know, we, we need consensus, we need to put the pressure, the, uh, including the civil society, mm. okay. to the related countries and government. Okay, we're discussing the uh, UN Climate Change Conference, uh, COP28 in Dubai, which was meant to end yesterday, but they haven't reached agreement, so it's still going on overnight in Dubai. You just heard uh, uh, William Yu, who was at uh, COP28. Uh, we've also got uh, Wendell Chan. Wendell Chan is, is project officer at Friends of the Earth. And uh, uh, Good morning, Wendell Chan. You were at COP28 as well, right? Yes, uh, maybe we'll just turn up your volume. Um, so tell us about your impressions. I mean, the, the news stories coming out suggest it's all been a bit of a failure. Is that fair? 
Well, I think we've just saw news about the, the latest draft that will come out in about an hour or so. Uh, I think they will strike to, they're trying to strengthen the language. So instead, I think their previous text was about they could, like countries could face face down fossil fuels and, stu and such. I think now they're going to have should instead of could, so it's slightly stronger language, but still not too, not too different from COP27. So it's still mostly going to be face down coal instead of, instead of facing out fossil fuels. And there's no no any commitment about phasing out fossil fuels at all. So you're not very happy. You um, let's just uh, no. for for listeners who may not, and even I haven't followed as closely. So I, the original agreement, though the original draft, didn't really make any reference to this, did it? Right. This is why these uh, large countries like um, uh, Australia and Canada and Japan rebelled against the original draft, didn't they? And that's why we've had these efforts to try and strengthen the language at least slightly. Is that right? Yes. Uh, well, not just the large countries, even small countries, uh, they, they did not like the language at all because that's basically signing their own death, uh, death sentence. Mm. How about China? How about and, uh, and, and the participants uh, in Hong Kong? Uh, wasn't it uh, our um, secretary for the environment? Uh, was it was in, in Dubai, too? Uh, yes, they uh, are the secretary for the environment also, also in Dubai. They also attended... Uh, they also attended one of our uh, event at uh, December six and came came to speak at what Hong Kong is doing and such. I think mm -hmm. uh, we mentioned about China earlier. I think that they didn't particularly talk about the language themselves. I think they said that they are trying to uh, work out with USA to uh, get a stronger stronger wording. So they're trying to replace, uh, trying to uh, have a commitment to replace fossil fuels with renewable energy. So that's slightly better than what we're getting right now. Hey, when do you when you flew all the way over there? Is it worth your uh, the uh, the burning of fossil fuels to fly there? I mean, do you, do you think it, it's it's it was a good investment? Okay, so I should I should comment on that. I think I think that's very important to comment on. Like I feel like a lot of people usually just focus on oh these people are flying to uh -huh. to COP to this climate conference are are they actually creating more pollution? So first of all, I want to point out that. Aviation only accounts for, well, it's not only, but they account for 2% of, of uh, greenhouse gas emissions that we produce. It's small, but still significant. Uh, but we also have to uh, point out the fact that these negotiations will influence how much uh, fossil fuels we produce in the future. Mm. If, we can, if we can control how much energy, if we can change the energy production we, we make uh, and turn those and decarbonize that, and also um, even our, our agriculture and all these other things that will have a much much more significant impact uh, compared to the to the greenhouse gas emissions that we're producing right now uh, just from flying flying over there yeah sure of but, course if, mm. if people if delegates could fly on on economy and, and such instead of private jets i think that would be a lot better but i think they're, they're uh, it's it's a very small it's a very small matter in the, in the overall scale of things. Uh, so, so it, it, your role is very limited in, in these uh, negotiations there um, as, as a small green group from Hong Kong. Uh, but the gain is to meet with other green groups and with uh, people from around the world that have technologies, ideas and plans and so on. And there's a good learning out there for, uh, for somebody like yourself. So is there anything you're going to take back to Hong Kong? Is there anything that you've picked so, up you say that is really where we should go? 
Right. So specifically for Friends of the Earth, this uh, this is our first time going to COP. So mm -hmm. what we're, we're what we're there for wasn't just to sightseeing, uh, just to sightseeing or or to uh, network. We were also there to we we're also uh, working with the Financial Services Development Council mm -hmm. uh, to host an event at the China the China Pavilion in Blue Zone uh, about how Hong Kong could help uh, how Hong Kong could lead this uh, become a leader in green and sustainable finance. Uh, taking advantage of his role as an inter international finance center. Hmm. So we're, we were there to try to tell, uh, try to uh, connect with other uh, countries, uh, poly countries, regions, or even other stakeholders on how Hong Kong can use, uh, can help finance green projects and such in order to drive uh, decarbonization. What kind of response do you think you got? I wasn't there personally because I didn't have a blue badge, so uh, I can't exactly tell you. Uh, but I think we're we're got, we got a pretty good uh, response overall, at, at, at least from what I've what I've heard from my colleagues. Blue badge is presumably a badge allowing access to restricted areas inside the conference. Ah, uh, yes. Sorry, I, have, I should have mentioned that. Yes, uh, blue badge required to go in. So there are two two zones in COP: uh, the green zone and the blue zone. The green zone is free for all, and the blue zones. Uh, only only for delegates and only uh, uh, a number of people could get get that badge i think the broader question i raised at the start of the program uh, it did um it, your, your views on i mean how much point is that we have a succession of these conferences don't we there's cop 27 cop 28 now i'm sure it won't be long before we have cop 29 um and as we're seeing in cop 28 they they have great difficulty in reaching agreement on anything maybe they will find a form of a compromise form of words in the end but um do we need to rethink the usefulness of these big international conferences or do they still serve a purpose in shining a spotlight on this issue? Uh, can I, Bajin? Yes, um, yeah, sure. We'll yeah. You. yeah. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. Um, I, I think uh, I have to admit that the progress made is low, but definitely uh, you, you see some kind of achievement, you know, like the Paris Agreement to get, you know, uh, near 200 countries to compromise on, uh, you know, the reduction target and and to keep, you know, our temperature rise beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius. But, so but, you, I, but, I but Dubai say, has now agreed that we're not going to make those targets, is it? Are we acknowledging that we're not making the targets? Are we got to be get more aggressive or are we just whitewashing the situation and ignoring the fact that we're not making the but, targets? But, 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 yeah, but you need to look at, you know, like... Um, uh, you know, we need the mechanism to make things happen. At least we get some uh, of the uh, items on the plate. Say, for example, the damage and loss run, uh, you, you need to get it. Whether the countries, you know, can combine, you know, uh, fulfill their original promise, that's another matter. But at least we, we have some uh, kind of mechanism to make sure, you know, we work towards the goals. I, I think that's still very useful. Okay, but how do we translate this, for example, for Hong Kong? I mean, what are we going to contribute? How, how are we going to get to uh, carbon zero here? I mean, are we going to invest in um, in nuclear technology? Are we going to do it, or because the green groups have always opposed to car to uh, to nuclear? Um, yeah, energy makes uh, is a, a challenge uh, to uh, Hong Kong as we have limited choice in our in our uh, source of uh, energy supply. And, and another one, I think now the focus, I, I should say, we also need to look at the demand side. That's our consumption. How we can mobilize the public 
uh, including the key corporations, you know, to start their net zero uh, reduction plan. That's that's very important. Now the technology is there, and uh, we have uh, different types of uh, reduction uh, strategy. So I, I think that uh, Hong Kong uh, not only deal with the energy supply, okay, to get two utilities, to get all the work done, and then we, we do nothing. I think we need to mobilize the another side, the demand side, how we can, you know, uh, uh, incentivize corporations to start to work towards net zero. Okay, well, let's talk about the demand side. I mean, our buildings, our buildings are leaking energy all over the place. I mean, we still don't take, we have mandatory rules on, on building energy efficiency in Hong Kong. It's one of the biggest industries here. We still haven't been able to do that. When are we going to get those? Um, I I think we yeah uh, maybe um yeah friends of the earth the friends from uh, maybe uh, friends well, of w- the Wendell earth. Chan uh, would you like to respond on that point? Oh that one no actually I feel like there's only so much we could, we uh, as NGOs could do I think at that at that point we need the policymakers to actually like step in and actually strengthen the rules. There's only so many so much we can say so many like for so long. But it's about it's about putting the, the the topics on the table and uh, starting the battle that we need to have here in Hong Kong, isn't it? We got this building ineffi- the inefficient uh, buildings in Hong Kong. We we talked about originally about these uh, cold air that comes out of the buildings with these open doors. That's the obvious one, but they are leaking energy. They've got the large window frame windows we have in Hong Kong, and we've known that for many many years. And we continue to build them. I mean, when are we going to get this turned around? I mean, we've been we've been telling we've been telling people to to keep the air conditioners at twenty six degrees <laughs> for so long now. I mean, we're still seeing shopping malls at maybe like under twenty. So I feel like I feel like some people just refuses to learn. Yeah. So I feel like it's 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 more than just an education issue, and 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 where NGOs could step in, it has to be more than that at this point. But our secretary for the environment was at uh, at uh, at COP. Um, is, is yes. he going to come back and take some, uh, you know, put his foot down? I hope so. William, I, I can't give you. A, I, I can't, I can't um, give you better answer than that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. We, yeah, so that's. I, I think now we need to tighten our regulatory uh, aspect, and also we should introduce, you know, the uh, some kind of targets uh, for. The large uh, corporations uh, with higher uh, carbon emissions. I, I I think that should be the direction we start to seriously think about. We we cannot just uh, add, you know, to add against climate change on a voluntary base. I I think that that the Hong Kong government should start to think about this. And another, you know, I uh, highly recommend uh, in the past is to build a scope-free. Uh, a carbon data uh, database uh, for Hong Kong for the local industry. So we have data to trace, uh, making a benchmark comparison that we can start to, um, you know, um, to do our work. Once you have the all this diagnosis, then you will see who are the the more intensive uh, carbon emitter. Then we can start to work on, you know, those areas. So I, I think Hong Kong has much to do. 
Okay, we're discussing the just concluded, actually not quite concluded, uh, COP28 UN Climate Change Conference in Dubai. Uh, we have a comment from a listener. My, uh, just now I I'm rather mildly raised questions about whether uh, these climate change conferences achieve very much. Uh, Mild has a, Mike has a rather stronger take on this. Mike says they are mostly unelected participants, including world leaders, business executives, environmentalists, with little or no idea what they are doing, trying to tell me what to do. While listening with an, to environmentalists with an agenda, they fail to heed experts like William Happer, John Christie and many others who've proven that the climate models, the so-called experts are relying on, are incorrect. A recent discussion with the likes of Bill Gates saying, well, it seems not to be so bad as we thought it might be, but we should keep an eye on it. Look, who is getting rich off the billions spent and look at who is suffering due to massive changing regulations? Rising sea levels, question mark? There's a very consistent rise of one to two millimetres every year for the past hundred years. Yet another politically propagated hoax. Governments subsidise wind power as a joke and subsidised solar would be great in the daytime, but we only have battery reserve until about nine o'clock. Good luck or wake up. Uh, thank you, Mike. I've to describe Mike as a climate change uh, sceptic. Um, um, uh, William Yu or Wendell Chan, how, how do you respond to I mean, there are plenty of people who feel like Mike to uh, sceptics like that. I think calling him a skeptic is a very kind word. I think denialist is a better <laughs> word for, for that. I feel like as as well. I don't. I'm not even. I don't even want to address that because this has been addressed for many times. Well, all, so, sorry to interrupt. I mean, one of them may be the next president, or maybe president of the United States again um, next year. I mean, it's quite possible. I it mean, could be. Yeah. Yeah. But so. still, I, I feel like I, I think the media has a role to not spotlight these people that much and to give them air, uh, to give them any air. Would you also apply like that if we, one, if one of them was elected as president of the United States? I mean, we can't really ignore um, uh, president of the United States espousing those kind of views. Indeed, if, if he's the president, sure, then Mike can say that, and then we'll have to address these uh, on on the air, on on the air. But right now, I don't think I don't think we should be giving too much time to climate uh, denialists when when we already have factual when we have the fact that climate change change is happening. It's affecting the world. And we need to do things right now to to stop. Okay, so what's Friends of the Earth going to do in Hong Kong? I mean, what are the what's the battle cry for the next twenty four months? For twenty four months, I hope it'll be a little longer than that. Okay, <laughs> but, well, you're thirty six um, months for you guys. I mean, how you know what is the, what is the battle cry for Friends of the Earth? If it's a battle cry, well, there's actually a lot of things we want to do. We we want more renewable energy. We we want them to. We want we want. Uh, more net zero carbon buildings. We want low carbon transportation. We want planet a planet healthy diet so that we're we're, we're eating less meat. There's there's lots of things we need to do. Carbon pricing, green finance, all all of these things. I, we well, the most important thing is we want uh, zero carbon and zero waste. I think that's the most important thing for Hong Kong. I, I think I read that. Uh, um, the, sorry, go on, uh, Wendell Chan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I what I want to say is that. Uh, uh, in uh, for our agenda, uh, I'm, I've already started to work with academic, the university professor, to develop, uh, to plan for a scope-free, you know, database uh, development for mm -hmm. Hong Kong. And also we seek for alliance, you know, from uh, China and other overseas universities uh, to gather, you know, to leverage because they use AI and uh, also, um, you know, the blockchain to to build this uh, database, which is very useful for the carbon uh, measurement and reduction. And moreover, personally, I uh, in Hong Kong, we have these uh, projects. And, and also, I start to contact, you know, the uh, uh, consultant in Maldives. 
um, uh, hopefully we can use make good use of our ESG knowledge in Hong Kong to help them to uh, plan for their sustainable finance framework. So that to ensure, you know, uh, with all these green finance uh, uh, financial instruments, we can uh, make, you know, some uh, changes happen in those countries, uh, including uh, Bhutan, you know, uh, although it's a carbon negative uh, country, but we how to keep it, you know, how to uh, make good use of the green finance instrument, you know, uh, to continue to do the carbon reduction. I, I think that's another aspect I'm looking for. Mm. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we're now going to have to take a uh, break for the news, and we'll say thank you very much indeed to our two guests in the first half of the show. That William was uh, Wendell. Wendell Chan, who's Project Officer at mm. Friends of the Earth, and William Yu, who's CEO at World Green Organization, who were both at uh, COP28. Uh, uh, we'll be continuing the discussion after the news, and also uh, later on we're going to be hearing about some new research which points to an alarming number of undetected hepatitis B cases in Hong Kong. If you have any thoughts on either topic, do email us at backchat at rthkyhk or go to our Facebook page and leave a comment on there. That's uh, um, back chat on RTHK Radio Free. <clears throat> the weather forecast, they're finding some rain. It's going to be one or two light rain patches. Um, maximum temperature is going to be around 24 degrees during the day. The outlook is going to be cloudy in the next couple of days and temperature is going to fall substantially on uh, Sunday, all the way down to uh, 12 degrees. But currently a lot warmer than that is 22 degrees, relative humidity 84%. It's 9.30. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the news. A newly appointed district councillor has hailed the overhaul of the elections, which saw a drop in the number of directly elected seats. Rizwan Ullah, a secondary school vice principal and a member of the Equal Opportunities Commission, represents the Kowloon City Council. He says the revamped system allows for the appointment of local professionals or, or ethnic minorities such as himself, who may lack the time and resources to win the public's vote. The United Nations General Assembly has overwhelmingly adopted a resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Though it's non-binding, analysts say it acts as a powerful measure of international opinion. And negotiators at the United Nations Climate Summit in Dubai are holding a series of meetings as they search for a compromise final agreement. No new text has yet been published with demands for the inclusion of a phrase promising the phasing out of fossil fuels being rebutted by oil and gas-producing nations. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock from RTHK. Cannabis is a dangerous drug. From February 1st, 2023, cannabidiol or CBD is also a dangerous drug under the law. It is illegal to possess or trade CBD products in Hong Kong without permission. Also, don't bring any CBD products into Hong Kong from abroad. Trafficking or sales of CBD products will be subject to a maximum fine of $5 million and life imprisonment. Visit the Narcotics Division's webpage on CBD for details. CBD, not for me. Let's stand firm. Knock drugs out. When the local seasonal influenza activity increases, if we fail to strengthen our immunity against flu in time, the risk of contracting flu could shoot up. Getting the flu jab can boost the immunity against flu and reduce the risks of severe complications and death. Don't drop your guard against flu, especially for persons aged 50 or above, children, pregnant women, and residents of residential care homes. Don't wait. Get a jab. Keep flu away. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. My guest presenter this morning is uh, Paul Zimmerman. In the second half of the show, we're going to continue our discussion about the uh, COP28 uh, UN Climate Change Conference in uh, Dubai, which was uh, meant to finish yesterday, but went into overtime over the night. And the, la- the latest reports are that delegates have finally, exhausted delegates have finally gone to sleep in it's the early hours of the morning in Dubai, but uh, uh, there will be some kind of press briefing in the, uh, in the, later in the morning where they, they hope that they will have some kind of agreement, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, later on, uh, we're also going to be hearing about an alarming number of undetected hepatitis B cases in Hong Kong. If you've got any thoughts on either topic, email us at backchat at rthk.hk. You can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there. Uh, joining us now is uh, someone else who was, I understand, was also at uh, COP28, uh, Lionel Mock. Lionel Mock is a sustainable finance uh, program lead at Civic Exchange. Uh, good morning, Mr. Mock. Welcome to Backchat. Hello uh, to Lionel Mock. Who... Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh, you were at uh, COP28 as well, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, well, tell us about your impression. When did you get back and what were your impressions? Oh, I got back um, Sunday evening, so I'm just recovering from the jet lag. But I think it was generally quite a positive experience. A lot going on. A very busy conference with probably the record number of attendees. Um, spread over a, a huge sort of exhibition center. So there was a lot of running around. Um, but I'd say that generally quite positive, although if you've been following the news, there are some very controversial elements and obviously a lot of deadlock between um, different stakeholders at the moment, which we're hoping gets resolved. But it seems at this hour, it's a little bit unlikely. What are the, the key deadlocks? Uh, I think, well, the latest thing that I've heard is that there is an article. So there's the the UN FCCC, um, there's a bunch of articles under the Paris Agreement that deal with different subtopics within this overall sort of climate change uh, mitigation debate. And one of them is on the mechanisms that are also Article 6 within the overall framework um, that looks at the different mechanisms for dealing with allocation of resources in terms of measurement of emissions and so on. And I think when you get down to the very details uh, of this sort of negotiation, it's always always the devil in the detail um, that really sort of brings stakeholders apart. And I think it's it's on the mechanisms that are sort of meant to operationalize uh, the Paris Agreement, which are still being worked out. Mm. Hey, so where's, where's China, where's Hong Kong in the debate? Um, I would say that it's very mixed on different fronts, uh, and it depends on where in the debate, the debate you're talking about. If it's in terms of overall targets, such as keeping 1.5 on the table, I think that generally they are positive about it. But of course, there are some very local concerns that can, uh, be that would be disruptive, right? I mean, achieving that 1.5 goal does require a lot of infrastructure investment and change. Uh, and it's about, again, going back to those mechanisms, how do those work in favor of, you know, very complex countries like China um, and how to make sure that they their addresses are, are met. I mean, their concerns are met when it comes to how you know capital is re- uh, allocated and the types of obligations that they might have. Mm. And for Hong Kong? 
Same thing. Um, I think one of the things that might be more relevant for Hong Kong is a different article, which is Article 2.1. Well, Article 2, but specifically Article 2.1, which looks at the way in which financial financial centers are meant to sort of reorient themselves and their structures, their policies and regulations and so on uh, to support climate change. Obviously, as a financial center, that's going to be a very big uh, point for us. Okay. Are, are we... Uh are we all in line with what London and uh, New York are doing, or uh, are we running behind? I'd say it's a mixed bag. You have to break it down into the different types of uh, pockets of activity in the financial market. In some ways, we are quite behind. Um, definitely, when you could compare it to like the EU overall, they have the EU, for example, has a lot of regulation. Uh, on sustainable finance, and they've definitely been a leader in that space. But in other ways, I'm actually, you know, pleasantly surprised at the amount of uh, momentum in the market and how in the private sector, you have a lot of different stakeholders operating through things like the Hong Kong Green Finance Association, who've been very active uh, in exploring different parts of the sort of financial market and the change that we might need. For example, the insurance sector in the banking sector uh, on, you know, when it comes to listed equities, there's so many different parts in the system which need to be uh, reviewed in a way to, that, you know, considers how climate change can be a potential risk to operations. And I think that on that front, we are starting to really accelerate uh, how much energy we spend on understanding the risk mechanisms as well as the opportunities uh, and strategies that can be put in place mm. in the financial market. But are we running ahead? Maybe if you take uh, Europe, I mean, Europe is, is stepping ahead again uh, on these issues. I mean, are we, are we, are we going to catch up? Uh, are we importing their, their knowledge and their, are we in part of the discussion? Yes, I think we're, Hong Kong is showing overall that it's very open to learning from other markets about how we can reorient financial systems where relevant. Um, but of course, we're coming from different development contexts and we have different sort of priorities and, you know, social economic circumstance that aren't, are, that are very different from the EU as mm -hmm. well as physical sort of risks, right? Um, so from that perspective, there is a need for somewhat of a translation of European norms and standards into the Hong Kong context, but having to do so in a way that also makes it, you know, still relevant to global investors and European investors. And do we have the right platform? I mean, is there, a, do we have the right people in the room in Hong Kong to have a very progressive agenda on this or are we, are we not getting there yet? Uh, is government, is the industry, the finance industry, uh, the green groups, the ones that are concerned about this, are they in a room and are we actually moving uh, the dial? Yeah, I mean, I would say that structurally, so the Hong Kong HKMA and some of the other regulators have put together a cross-agency steering group uh, to look at sustainable finance. Hmm. And at that very high level, it's a really powerful signal to send to the market that this is being taken seriously. Um, underneath that, a lot of the financial stakeholders, market participants and so on, have been quite involved in the Green Finance Association's work through different avenues, uh, whether that's looking like at all the topics I talked about earlier. 
uh, the civil society, you know, academics, NGOs, media, and so on, uh, other concerned citizens, I think that they are there as well. Obviously, we always want to give a stronger voice for, you know, uh, civil society, epistemic communities, and so on. Um, and it's really about finding ways to get their voices onto the table in a strategic manner. Um, I think, you know, typically those sort of organizations, NGOs, aren't, you know, they're not as big as the investment banks, right? Mm -hmm. We So we have to be a lot more careful with how we approach the topic. We can only do so much. Um, and, you know, it's about being strategic. Okay, we have a, um, a question from a listener. Um, if you've got any questions or thoughts, you can also email us at backchat at RTHK or HK or go to our Facebook, Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio, and freely leave a comment there. Uh, Mark, an email titled Solar Energy Generation in Hong Kong, says, uh, read the discussion of balancing power consumption with power generation in Hong Kong. Why is the feed-in tariff for domestic solar expiring in 10 years' time? Surely it's worth extending this to encourage investment, Mark. Thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm not sure the I don't don't necessarily. Is this an issue you're familiar with, Lionel Mark? Lionel, um, I wouldn't say that I'm a. I'm, you know, I, I'm not on the inside. <laughs> you when you, it comes you know to more than me, though. I would Hong imagine, right? You don't have a solar panel on your roof uh, somewhere. <laughs> um, so presumably, the government has set a time limit on um, the um, actually when you can get a basically a rebate, can't you, by putting your yep. energy from the solar panels back into the system? And, no, you uh, get you get money back basically. You get a yeah, payback for the electricity you've generated. Common internationally now, and our listener Mark is uh, questioning why there's a time limit on that. Uh, Paul, you yeah, you, uh, I. Um, Sorry, I would ahead. say that it would be um, you can't ever think of government policy as being fixed, you know, forever. Infinitely. Yes, it doesn't mean right. they're going to abolish think, it. Yes, but 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 I mean, that just, yeah. Let's just look at uh, solar energy. In Civic Exchange is looking. So thank you, at, Mark. Yes, you set us off on it. <laughs> yes, right exactly. Yeah. So because Civic Exchange is involved in uh, in uh, climate change issues, um, in what are what are the kind of like outcomes what are the three kind of main strategies for hong kong to uh to combat the uh, uh, the climate change and kind of like become carbons at net zero and we, where where are we going to have the big wins where where do we got to find consensus on um so i would say it's going to be a lot in both the built environment right like physical infrastructure space whether that's energy supply buildings transport uh, i mean i think those are the main ones in hong kong and within each of those is going to be decarbonization pathways, which are ideally the least disruptive and most sort of cost optimal. Um, I would say separately, there is a lot that we can do on the financial market side. Obviously, Hong Kong is a very small sort of city, uh, but we have quite a large, like outsized impact on global financial markets. At least we have historically. Uh, and I think going forward, that depends on decisions made today. And, and so, that, so, what are you say, doing on this? I mean, it's, it's like action. You know, what, are, what are you guys doing on this uh, civic exchange? You guys are out there. Uh, you're getting funding to to uh, put research together and to put projects together. I mean, what is where where are the actions? So, at a more strategic, like I guess, uh, you know, at that micro level, if that's what you're talking about, there are some thematic areas within sustainable finance that we really want to work on. Mm. I think the first one is getting the market to come together on standardizing sust uh, sustainability reporting. Uh, right now, if you look at you know the sustainability reports of a few different companies, 
you'll notice very quickly that they're structured in different ways. The information is a bit, uh, it's inconsistent in terms of metrics used and where those metrics are, or the, you know, that information is placed on the physical report. And I think in order for any of this to be useful, there needs to be easier ways for this data to become decision ready for financial stakeholders. Hmm. Um, so finding exactly where those issues are in the reports and then suggesting ways that we can harmonize and, you know, simplify the process and ideally put that onto data systems, which are then easier to manipulate and share amongst, uh, you know, different stakeholders is going to be a big part. I think the other thing that I'm very interested in is also getting a better sense of the types of risk uh, that climate change is going to present, both physically and also in terms of more systemically at an economic level. Uh, physically, you know, we've we've seen some events, right? And whether or not that is an anomaly or whether those are general trends, I think that's that's for you know a scientist to come and talk about. But we also want to understand, okay, if Europe becomes more carbon neutral and they implement something like a uh, a carbon tax for products coming from carbon intensive countries, then what is that going to do to publicly listed companies in Hong Kong hmm. uh, in terms of you know future revenues? So understanding those areas, I think, is also going to be a very important area topic that we are trying to build awareness around both within financial markets, but also within the corporates that, you know, are actually listed and, and the SMEs that spell for those corporates. Yeah, but that sounds good. But is, is there a platform? Is there a, 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 where governments and the market regulators and the SFC and, and the kind of the academics and the, the research institutes are working together? I think there are multiple platforms. It depends on what specifically <laughs> you're trying. Well, I think there are multiple work streams that have been developed either within the cross-agency steering group that I mentioned or within the HKGFA, um, the Hong Kong Green Finance Association. And as Civic Exchange, we are there to really support their work as well. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you very much uh, to uh, Lionel Mark, uh, who's from the uh, sustainable, uh, who is the sustainable finance program lead at uh, Civic Exchange, uh, rounding up our discussion there about the uh, COP28 uh, UN Climate Change Conference in Dubai. Uh, stay with us. Operation Santa Claus 2023 is on. The annual charity fundraising drive jointly organized by Radio Television Hong Kong and the South China Morning Post is, for the 36th time, helping those in Hong Kong who need it the most. Operation Santa Claus has raised more than 369 million Hong Kong dollars for over 338 wonderful charity projects over the years. If you would like to help by donating any amount at all or by arranging your own fundraising event, just go to our website for all the details. OSC. CHK.org. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back. In the closing segment of this morning's program, we're going to be looking at some rather alarming research into hepatitis B in Hong Kong. Hepatitis B is often called the uh, silent killer because it uh, doesn't actually show any symptoms for mm. a long time after you, you've caught it. Uh, now a research project uh, found, actually found uh, several cases of, 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 of hepatitis, undiagnosed cases of hepatitis B and among the people they were they were looking at and they estimated on, based on that, about I think 5% of survey respondents were found with hepatitis B 
SSB. They estimated there could be uh, uh, 50,000 uh, undiagnosed um, hepatitis B cases in Hong Kong, which is obviously a very serious matter. Um, Dr. Kelvin Lam is the uh, president of uh, Asia HEP, which was the organizer of the research. And uh, uh, Dr. Lam joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Lam. Uh, Welcome to back to. Uh, yeah. can, can you. Can you thank you for joining us. Uh, can you introduce your research to us? Yes, uh, hepatitis B actually is a viral infection uh, that can cause a, a very serious problem like uh, liver cancer or cirrhosis. Mm. And the transmission is based on uh, mostly in Hong Kong is mother-to-child transmission. And uh, they contracted uh, or they contracted through blood or other uh, body fluid like sexual uh, uh, partners or death injections. And uh, in the WHO, it estimated that uh, around three. 100 million people were infected with chronic hepatitis B and uh, 1.5 million new infections each year. And according to the latest local epidemiology in Hong Kong, about 6% of the Hong Kong population are infected. That uh, translates to about uh, 400,000 individuals uh, infected. And among these, uh, around 25% of these can develop liver cirrhosis or liver cancer if they do not receive treatment. And uh, and most importantly, Hong Kong ranks, uh, and the liver cancer ranks five the most common cancer in Hong Kong. And the death rate of uh, liver cancer is ranked three. So this is very important uh, to screen for hepatitis B uh, because uh, in the earlier stages of uh, infection, uh, patients are often uh, have no symptoms, they are asymptomatic. And once they develop symptoms, and uh, this would be a very late stage, and often it cannot be cured. And our survey actually uh, 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 have been done for uh, uh, through uh, four months, through the June to October this year, and we provided 768 complementary hepatitis B screening for adults in Hong Kong. And uh, we found that uh, 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 there are uh, 41 uh, individuals who are infected with uh, hepatitis B, which is about 5 to 6 percent, uh, which correlates to the latest survey by the Hong Kong government. And most importantly, there are six individuals who are not aware they are hepatitis B carrier. And that's why we translate to about uh, 550,000 uh, individuals in Hong Kong remain undiagnosed as the hidden hepatitis B carrier. And furthermore, uh, the survey found that uh, about 43% of the hepatitis B carriers do not seek any medical advice. And about uh, half of these patients also underestimate the severity of disease and neglect appropriate medical follow-up. Mm. And therefore, we've, uh, uh, these findings underscore the urgent need to, uh, for increased awareness and uh, education and proactive healthcare interventions to address these important public health issue. Okay, well, we're on the radio and uh, you're talking to uh, to people that might be interested in it. So, I mean, what are the indications? I mean, what, uh, what should I be aware of? Uh, how can I know where I, I'm, I'm at risk? Uh, what should what, I, what what should age, I do? What, yeah, what age, oh. what, what age groups are the most seriously at risk and what should we, what, what should we look out for? Okay, uh, because uh, in Hong Kong, actually, we have implemented a universal um, vaccination program since 1988. Uh, which means uh, uh, when we get birth in Hong Kong, we will receive two, uh, three doses of happy vaccine. And the infection after uh, vaccination, actually the risk is much decreased. However, for those uh, who are born before 1988, we do not uh, receive any happy vaccine. And therefore, uh, uh, for now, uh, 
for the uh, people aged uh, more than 30, uh, 35, uh, they are at risk of infection. And therefore, um, uh, we would recommend uh, for those who did not receive any hepatitis C vaccine should underwent screening. Okay. And if you don't know, what do you had? I mean, uh, not everybody's aware of the vaccine records. And of course, uh, other, uh, other risk factors, like uh, they have uh, some injection before or uh, multiple sexual and safe uh, partner, and these are also at risk patients. Yeah. It's because you said it's most likely to be spread by blood, right? Uh, yes, it's uh, most likely spread by blood or body fluid uh, transmission. And we and, don't... Uh, mm. Yeah, it, one of the, the, the real problems of hepatitis B, we, as we said, we call it the invisible killer. There are no symptoms at the beginning, but are there any symptoms you can watch out for a bit later or some early warning signs? Okay. Uh, if the patients uh, develop, uh, usually uh, in the early and the middle age, uh, stage of the disease, they have totally no symptoms, and therefore screening is very important. Once they develop symptoms, like including the yellowing of skin, the malaise, and also the uh, broadly fluid uh, accumulation, especially in the tummy. And in sometimes uh, they uh, can develop internal bleeding. These are very uh, late uh, symptoms or signs. And often uh, these patients uh, will need uh, some intensive care or even uh, liver transplantation uh, if uh, they are indicated for that. So are you going to suggest that we're all going to go to our doctor and kind of check whether we have been uh, well, Tell us about the, the screening. I mean, it's a, how simple is the screening process? Is it just a simple okay. test or is it something um, involves a uh, hospital visit? Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the gold standard test is actually take some blood and go to the laboratory and then wait for about a day, the turnover time, and, they, and if the test will become positive or negative. But for screening, uh, we actually have another uh, very simple tool. Uh, that is like a COVID test. It's a very rapid test. We just uh, take a, a, a few drops of blood and uh, 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 drop it into a test kit, and the results will come back in 15 minutes. And these tests actually are very good for survey and or screening because uh, the, uh, the individuals can be uh, at the site uh, uh, to wait for 15 minutes, and they can know the results. Of course, these uh, uh, screening tests, uh, if, the, if uh, the patient's test uh, positive, we need to do the blood test for the confirmation. Yeah. But the test, uh, the sensitivity is actually very high, more than 98%. But then so I know whether I have a hepatitis, but how do I know whether I've been vaccinated? Uh, uh, for those uh, who want to know whether they have uh, been vaccinated or the, um, the, uh, the level of antibodies uh -huh. is, uh, is uh, good enough, and uh, we can check blood for that. That's a blood and test. Actually, there are, there are another um, uh, a rapid test uh, for the antibody results. But of course, this is uh, uh, qualitative, but not quantitative. Uh, it can be used as screening, but uh, uh, the best is to take some blood. Yeah. Now, you talk so much about the importance of screening. We've had so much disruption to health services over the last uh, few years because of COVID. Has, uh, has the disruption from COVID caused any, caused any um, slow, slowing down or disruption of uh, screening for hepatitis B? Uh, okay. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in Hong Kong, there are no uh, government-led uh, screening for hepatitis B uh, yet. And uh, most of the screening are either uh, done by the individuals undergo uh, self-paid uh, screening, or uh, we have some NGOs besides Asia Health and another uh, many more uh, NGOs to uh, do a, a free hepatitis B screening. 
Uh, during COVID, of course, uh, these NGOs uh, have uh, uh, suspended screenings because of obvious reasons for, uh, for the uh, uh, isolation policy. And that's why uh, uh, it is slowing down. Uh, but uh, I think the most important thing is uh, because NGOs, uh, the resources is not comparable to uh, the government scale. So uh, we emphasize uh, the government should uh, uh, implement a screening policy in Hong Kong. Yeah. So, so they got to subsidize. So we all have some. Sub, there is some subsidy then to for everybody to go to the doctor and uh, and get a test done over the uh, next two three years. Or what is what do you what do you what is the? Uh, I think uh, because uh, of the cost reason, I think uh, uh, do the screening. We can do a, a rapid test. And actually, in the policy address uh, uh, by the chief executive in uh, 2022, uh, uh, it uh, um, highlights the importance of the primary health care blueprint, coordinating the primary health care service for our people. And the government has actually set up uh, DXD, the uh, district health center in 18 districts uh, for this objective. I think uh, this uh, uh, hepatitis B actually is a, a, a pressing health care issue. And uh, screening is quite simple and, and quick and efficient. And they actually, uh, the government, I propose them to provide free hepatitis B testing service through the DHC or DHCE for individuals born before 1988 to identify these hepatitis B patients at early stage. Once they, uh, were test, they are test positive and they can actually refer to uh, the, the uh, other primary health health doctor, uh, the family doctor, uh, for uh, further investigations. If they need treatment, of course, they can refer to the specialist. Okay. Have, has the government responded positive to your suggestion, or are we going to get that program, or what, what, what's the status? Uh, I, uh, actually, I proposed uh, in the policy address, uh, but of course, uh, uh, we are waiting for the reply, and uh, we will uh, also coordinate with other NGOs to do more screening, uh, to tell the um, government that uh, the the, actually, the, um, the epidemiology actually is uh, decreasing, and uh, the total burden should be decreased over time. And and we have enough budget because the test is actually very cheap. Around uh, it costs around ten uh, Hong Kong dollars per test, and therefore uh, the total cost is not that high. And we and uh, we can avoid uh, the later complications uh, uh, like uh, the uh, liver cancer or liver cirrhosis. So I think uh, overall this is very cost-effective. You said you proposed in the policy. I think you mean you proposed that it should be before the policy address, that it should be included in the policy address. But I don't remember. They talked about primary health care. I don't remember any specific reference about hepatitis B. Uh, yeah, they didn't include it yeah, at the moment. Mm. But uh, uh, actually, Hong Kong have... Um, uh, an, um, uh, uh, organization, or, or I, 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 I can't remember probably, um, but uh, they have a plan to eliminate hepatitis B uh, by 2030. Uh, there is a completely very high level. And uh, uh, in 2024, the, the first five years uh, is, uh, is completed. And therefore, I hope they can incorporate uh, these ideas. Okay, the next all right. Okay. So, that's an important shout-out on RTSK much, today. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Kelvin Lam joining us to talk about that very important issue. Uh, that's it for Back Chat uh, for today. Paul, I think that's it for you. You're off tonight, right? Yes, I'm off. I'm off. I'm going to go uh, Holland and uh, help my mother organize for Christmas, and I'll be back. Okay, Merry Christmas. Uh, but Back Chat continues, and uh, I'll be back to, for Back Chat tomorrow with Philip Wong. So join us then.